Good morning. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Uh, again, that's Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Last time, last time we were in Luke, we uh, learned about Jesus' baptism, where he goes out to where John the Baptist is baptizing. And uh, when he's baptized, he goes under the water, and then Luke tells us that the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, and then this voice from heaven speaks. And the voice from heaven says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Today's passage, we pick up with Jesus' temptation and, and what the devil is going to do with Jesus. He's going to cause him to doubt the very truth that God spoke about him at his baptism. God told him he was his beloved son. He told him he was pleased with him. And the devil is going to come to Jesus and call him to question his sonship to the Father. So let's go ahead and read Luke 4, uh, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's, that it's living and active, that uh, all of it is, is breathed out by you, all of it is inspired by your spirit, and that it's useful for us and for your church. God, we pray today that you would use your word to, uh, to teach us and to correct us, to train us for godliness, to to cause us to see your son in a new way, to see what you've done for us in Jesus in a new way this morning in your word. We pray that as we, we look at Jesus' temptation, we wouldn't just see a familiar story that we've heard before, but that we would recognize that Jesus endured temptation on our behalf, that he was tempted as we are so that he would be equipped to be our great high priest interceding for us before you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you uh, were sent by your Father. You came down here, born as a woman, born under the law, that you endured the devil's temptation in our place, that you obeyed where we do not. We thank you that you died in our place and rose again, claiming the, this inheritance that you invite us into with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we see Jesus being tempted by the devil in Luke chapter 4. And so the very first thing we see is that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. 
What Luke is telling us here is he's making sure that we understand that when the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism, that's not just a temporary thing. It's not just a one-time thing. Jesus, throughout his ministry on the earth, is full of God's Spirit. The Spirit is permanently upon him during his time on the earth. So he's empowered by the Spirit for the task that God has sent him to do. So he's full of the Spirit, he's returning from the Jordan, and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And this is important for us to understand because, you know, well-meaning Christians all the time say things like, you know, God's not going to give you anything that you can't handle. But here we see Jesus being led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And then what happens in the wilderness? The devil tempts Jesus. So the Spirit is the one that's orchestrating this temptation that's about to take place. God is the one who's in control of what's happening in this passage. Obviously, God didn't give Jesus anything that he couldn't handle, but we're not Jesus. Jesus led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He's out there for 40 days being tempted by the devil. This phrase, being tempted by the devil, it's, it's emphasizing the ongoing nature of the temptation of Jesus during that time, during those 40 days. So it's not this 40-day period where Jesus experiences these three temptations that we're told about. Jesus was tempted all throughout that time. It was a continuing, ongoing temptation by the devil. It tells us that during that time, he ate nothing... And then this is where things get a little controversial. Right? Jesus ate nothing for 40 days, and at the end of verse 2, he was hungry. Right? Joking aside, like that's crazy that Jesus is hungry. Because he's the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hill, right? God has, has never needed anything. And yet Jesus experiences need in this passage. He needs food. He's hungry. He became human. He took on flesh, and so he experiences something that he hasn't experienced before. Jesus doesn't eat. He's hungry. And that's exactly what the devil tempts him with at the beginning. The devil says to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. This is a really kind of cunning and clever temptation from the devil here. What he's doing is he's calling Jesus to question his sonship to the Father. And, he, and really, he's kind of asking for him to prove it by making the stones become bread. He's saying, like, you know, if, if you're the son of God, wouldn't, wouldn't your dad want you to have food? He wouldn't want you to be hungry. Just go ahead and cause these stones to become bread. Jesus answers him with Scripture. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The rest of the quote is, but by every mouth that proceeds from the word of God, from the mouth of God. He's saying that food isn't as important as it is for him to obey his father. That is what he needs the most. He's hungry, he needs food, but he really needs to obey his father. And so he, he answers the devil with scripture, refuses to give in to his temptation. So the devil takes him up, he says, uh, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In Matthew, we find out that the devil takes him up to a, to a high mountain, and he causes all the kingdoms of the world and their glory to pass before him. Luke says it happened in a moment of time. So somehow, through, through some power that the devil has, he's causing this to happen. We don't know if it's a vision or if they're you know, transported up to a high mountain in some way, but all these kingdoms pass before Jesus, and Satan offers them to him in exchange for Jesus' worship. And here there's a couple really interesting things about what the devil says. He says that uh, 
to you I will give all this authority and glory. So he's promising to give Jesus all their authority and all their glory, and he explains how he can make that promise. He says, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. So the devil here is claiming that he has this authority, and he's able to transfer, transfer it to Jesus, that it's been given to him. And really, the, the, the question then is, well, who gave it to him? The answer to that question would be God. God gave it to him. God entrusted him with this authority. And so the question we should ask is, is what the devil is saying true? Like, can he really make that transfer? Can he really give Jesus all of these things? And I think the answer to that question is, is twofold. The first is that there is some truth to what the devil is saying, right? Uh, scripture calls him the ruler of this world. There are ways in which God has given him some authority before the cross in this creation because of sin, because of its brokenness. So he does have some authority. But the second thing that we need to remember about this is that Jesus calls the devil a liar and the father of lies. And so even though there may be some truth in what he's saying, we should be highly, 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 highly skeptical of anything the devil says. So he's making this claim, but we don't really know, and Jesus doesn't, well, Jesus does know. Uh, we don't really know whether he can back it up. But what he's offering him is all this authority and their glory. And if we skip to the end of the Gospels, right, if we, we read Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him by the Father. So Jesus is going to get all that authority at the end. So what the devil is really offering him now is he's offering him all of that without going to the cross. He's offering him all of that without being obedient to his father. He's telling him, hey, there's another way to get what you came here to get. All you have to do is worship me. Jesus responds with scripture again and says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. See, on the surface, it, it looks as if this temptation to worship the devil is just like a one-time thing, right? If he's choosing between bowing down to the devil now or, or worshiping his father in this moment. But really, Jesus' whole life is a life of worship to the father, right? All of his obedience, him going to the cross, him being raised from the dead, him ascending into heaven, him interceding on our behalf, all of it is him worshiping his father, him loving him fa his father and obeying his father. All of that is worship. And so it's not just this one moment that he's questioning whether he should worship the devil or worship his father. It's, is he going to live the life that his father sent him to live or not? Jesus refuses to give in again. And then he ends by taking him to the temple in Jerusalem. Here we should know that if we go to Matthew 4 and read the temptation, uh, Matthew has the same three things, right? The, the, the temptation to turn the rocks into bread, the temptation to uh, bow down and worship him, and also to throw himself off the temple. But Matthew has a different order. He does the bread first, then the temple, and then the high mountain. Luke does the bread first, then the mountain, and then the temple. And what's happening here is that, if you remember, when we started the Gospel of Luke, he told Theophilus that he was going to write an orderly account. And I said something like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's chronological, but Luke is going to put things in an order which make sense, which create a theological purpose. And for Luke, all of his Gospel is centered around and moving towards Jerusalem. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is always headed towards Jerusalem. So it seems like Luke puts Jerusalem last because he wants us to see that he's always focused on moving towards Jerusalem. That's what he was sent to do. So the devil takes him up to the temple. He puts him on the pinnacle. 
We don't know exactly which part of the temple this is, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is that it's high enough that if you fell off, you would be hurt. Uh, he takes Jesus up there, and he tempts Jesus with throwing himself off the temple, and he uses scripture against him. He says, For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So thus far in the temptation, uh, Satan has tempted Jesus. Jesus has responded with Scripture. Now Satan tempts Jesus by using Scripture and says, throw yourself off the temple. The Bible says God protects those he loves. Clearly he will protect you if you do that. Jesus responds with Scripture and says, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What we should see here is a difference, a big difference between how Jesus uses Scripture and how Satan uses Scripture. Jesus, when he uses scripture, he's always putting himself under his father. He's putting himself under his father's word and saying, I've got to do these things because he told me to do these things. But when Satan uses scripture, he flips that, right? He's saying that if, if you do this, then God has to do this thing. If you throw yourself off, then God has to come to your aid. Satan is, is twisting and distorting the true intent of God's word for his people. And I think the way Jesus responds should, should cause us to realize that if, if Jesus has to test Scripture with Scripture, certainly we do as well. And so anytime anyone uses Scripture to say, hey, you should do this thing, right? You should throw yourself off the temple. We should think, is that really what God's Word says? Does that fit with everything else that he says in other places in his Word? And so anytime you hear somebody teach the Word of God, whether it's me, whether it's one of our other elders, whether it's somebody else, whether it's somebody on the Internet, anytime you hear somebody teaching the Word and somebody says something and you think that doesn't seem right, that doesn't sound right, that doesn't make sense, what you should do is go back to God's Word and see if it fits with what he says. Because what I say and what other teachers say, that's not what matters. What God says is what matters. And that is in his word. That's not what I say all the time. If you don't believe me, just go listen to the sermon from last week when I almost denied the Trinity. Uh, we should test what is said with God's word, even if we're the ones that are saying it. Jesus answers him not to test. And then it says, the devil departed from him until an opportune time when he ended every temptation. So this round's over. But Luke makes it clear that we know that the temptation that Jesus faced from the devil doesn't end here. And I think that that's really, really, really important for us to see. Because I think sometimes when we think about Jesus' temptation, we just think about these three things. Maybe we think about these three things plus the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying that night. And, you know, Satan was just tempting him during this time. But when Luke tells us that he departed until an opportune time, he's telling us that he was waiting for another chance. Jesus endured temptation throughout his life. It's not nearly as clean and as clear-cut as we might think. I think Hebrews can help us out here. The book of Hebrews says, uh, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the author of Hebrews is, is trying to help us understand the temptation that Jesus fit, faced on this earth. It wasn't just these three things. It wasn't just these three things plus Jesus in the garden. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. 
what that means, right, is if I take a list of all the temptations that I ever have faced and all the temptations I will ever face in the future, Jesus was tempted in all of those ways. That's a lot more than just these three things and him in the garden. And the author of Hebrews says we. So we would have to take all the temptations I've ever faced and all the temptations I ever will face and add to those all the temptations that Sean has ever faced and will ever face and Caleb and everybody else in this room. And then we get a much, much bigger list of temptation. We've got to expand it to everybody in the whole world. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. And that last part, yet was without sin, expands the temptation like exponentially. There's this illustration that I've used before, but in, in fishing, right, the, the line you use when you fish has a, a rating. It's, it's called pound test. And what it means is this is how strong this line is. And so growing up, our family would trout fish a lot. And trout apparently are, are a smart fish. And they can see the line in the water. And so you have to use really, really thin line. And because of that, you can't catch really, really big trout without, uh, you know, carefulness. Because it's, it's rated for like two pounds or four pounds. So if you catch a fish bigger than that, the line breaks. And so if you're fishing with two-pound test and you catch a fish and that fish breaks the line you don't know how big that fish is or how strong that fish is other than it's more than two pounds. As you're trying to reel it in, you don't get to really experience the fight that that fish had to offer. In order to experience that, you have to go up to a higher rated line. We are like two-pound test when it comes to temptation, right? We fight it a little bit, and then our line snaps, and we give in. Jesus is infinite pound test. He fought and he fought and he fought and he fought and he fought until he conquered it. He never gave in to temptation. So however much we think that we're tempted, we need to recognize that when the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus' temptation, he's taking it infinitely further than we've ever faced temptation. Jesus' temptation was like that. So when I think about that. And when I read Jesus' temptation in the Gospels, I have, I have two thoughts. One is, is praise God, right? That that's who Jesus is. That that's how he endured temptation on my behalf, on your behalf. But unfortunately, that thought is quick. And then I quickly move to thinking that what this passage is telling me is that I need to fight, Right? I need to muster up my willpower. I need to psych myself up so that I can be like Jesus and fight temptation and say no to sin and absolutely do that, right? God's word tells us to do that. But that's not the point of this passage. That's not the point of Hebrews 4. The point is for us to know and for us to see that Jesus didn't give in to temptation like we do. The point is for us to know that there is one who obeyed in our place, Jesus in the wilderness uh, didn't give in to the temptation of Satan like Adam did. Jesus in the wilderness didn't give in to the temptation to, to give in to his hunger like Israel did. Jesus doesn't sin like we do when he faces temptation. Jesus is better than us. Jesus is greater than us. He endured temptation where we fail. 
He was tempted in every respect as we are yet is without sin. That is the point of this passage. It's for us to look to Jesus and look at how the author of Hebrews applies that truth. The very next verse, he says, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace and find grace to help in the time of need. His application is not psych yourself up and obey. His application is you're weak. So go to the one that can help. Right? If we recognize that we fail when we're tempted, but Jesus didn't fail when we're tempted, then what should happen is every time that we're tempted, we should think, hey, Jesus faced this. Jesus beat this. Maybe I should go to him for help with this temptation instead of me just trying the thing that I've tried every other time when I've been faced with a temptation and failing. His point is to draw us to Jesus, knowing that he is the one who obeys where we don't. He is the one who succeeds where we fail. He is the one who has conquered where we get defeated. The point of this passage is for us to see him and focus on him and know that we cannot do it on our own. Even Jesus in this passage is full of the Spirit. He doesn't endure temptation on his own. And so why would we think that we can't? And so my encouragement to you this week uh, is not to hear from this passage, you know, go out and just, just beat temptation. The point of this passage is go out and and put yourself in a place where you recognize that you need Jesus and can't do it on your own. Whenever you face temptation, don't just try to fight it. Go to Jesus. Spend time in prayer. Ask him to help you fight the temptation that he's already faced on your behalf, that he's already beat on your behalf. Right? Jesus, after the cross, as we already talked about in Matthew 20, 18, says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. What that means is that any authority that the devil had to offer Jesus has been taken away from him and given to Christ. So any power that sin might have had over you before the cross has no power anymore. And so as we're facing temptation, we shouldn't try to do it on our own because we don't have any authority or power to beat it, but Jesus does. And so we should go to him. The author of Hebrews says, Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, because of this truth, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word knows that we're needy. That you know that we're needy. We pray that you would help us to know and remember that we're needy. That we can't do it on our own. I pray this week that as we go out from this place, this afternoon, this week together, the rest of this month, that we as we face temptation in this life, in this broken world, in our broken bodies, that we would remember that, that we can't do it on our own. We would remember that we have a Savior who has 
obeyed in our place, who has succeeded where we have failed, and who has already conquered sin and death and Satan on our behalf, and that he holds the authority and power over it. I pray that you would help us not just to run from sin, but to run to Jesus. pray that as we continue in the rest of the service, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we uh, sing more songs of praise, that we would do so praising the one who obeyed where everyone else disobeyed. Jesus, we thank you for your work on our behalf. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.